We've long had an eviction crisis and housing insecurity crisis, and so there's much that needs to be done, whether we're in a People are being forced out of their houses, that there are so many illegal evictions, there's illegal rent increases, and that there's this tension between what is home for a tenant and what is a financial asset for someone else. And if, in fact, in more moderate income society, bank branches are one per 5,000, but in South LA, it's one per 600,000, in East LA, one per 650, what are we doing? Welcome to Securing Justice, a podcast series created by the California Center for Ethics and Policy, or CCEP, at Cal Poly Pomona and generously supported by California Humanities. My name is Brady Collins, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Cal Poly Pomona and Faculty Fellow with CCEP. I'm particularly excited about this episode because, well... I made it. This episode was recorded back in early 2020 and first aired on the Digital Salon podcast, a project of the UCLA Urban Humanities Initiative. In re-airing this episode, we thought we would do something a little different. We start with a brief conversation between myself and Dr. Corey Aragon, professor of philosophy at Cal Poly Pomona and faculty fellow with CCEP, about the episode, what it was like to make it, what I was trying to get across, and what it means today. We hope you enjoy it. As always, if you like what you hear, if you care about these issues, please rate and share our podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, Corey. Well, hello, Brady. Um, thank <laughs> you for, for getting together to talk about your podcast episode. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Yeah, I've, I've, I thought the podcast was really powerful and interesting and it helped me get a glimpse into the specific process. Um, but I wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, the podcast generally. Um, specifically, I was wondering if you might tell us something about the Urban Humanities Initiative and the Digital Salon po podcast. I was wondering what your connection to UHI is and how does your podcast fit into the larger project um, yeah. with the Digital Salon podcast? Yeah, so the, the Urban Humanities Institute is housed at UCLA, but there's actually a few different Urban Humanities Institutes. I believe one, the London School of Economics, and one of the Ivies on the East Coast. But it's, nice. it's an initiative that's funded by the Mellon Foundation, and I think the UCLA initiative began 2013 or 2014. And I was a graduate student at UCLA back then. And so the initiative was created in order to bring together students and faculty in the humanities, as well as the urban design, architecture, urban studies fields. Interesting. And the idea was that this thing that we call the city or, you know, the urban is so complicated that it deserves a interdisciplinary perspective. And so it was meant to create kind of exchange and dialogue between disciplines that don't normally talk to each other, right? Yeah. Kind of design disciplines and the humanities disciplines. And so we did some kind of experimental stuff. We watched a lot of film and read literature about kind of urban experiences and tried to understand, you know, what those tell us about 
how cities are planned or designed. We also tried to craft new methodologies for studying the city, which included going out into the urban landscape and just kind of recording sound and then listening to it later and, and trying to understand the relationship between kind of moving through the city and and the kind of auditory experience of of moving through the city we also took pictures on what we called uh, derives derives are a term i'm going to for, i'm going to forget who we can ascribe it to but a derive is a kind of random movement through space and so we would go on urban derives where we would just sort of wander through the city and take pictures of the experience. Um, so sort of experimental stuff, but the, the uh, Institute also, you know, created new courses. Uh, you know, it was a mass, it was a certificate program that you could uh, take as a student. And I did, did that as a student. And then when I graduated and received my PhD, I was a TA in the program an adjunct eventually. And so now as an alum, an alumnus of the program, um, I try to stay involved in the activities that the initiative puts together that are kind of community facing. And one of them was to create a podcast. And so the digital salon is that podcast. And I've done a couple episodes for them now. This one was my second, and the second season of the podcast, the theme of it was collectives. So we were asked to submit podcast episodes that somehow explored this notion of the collective and what that can mean. Interesting. Yeah. Um, the whole project sounds pretty fascinating, and I can definitely see a lot of what you just talked about in the podcast. Um, in your episode, I was going to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, specifically, like, how did you go about planning the episode out? Uh, what were you hoping to accomplish in the episode? What guided your decisions around choosing people to interview and selecting places and sounds to record and crafting the narration? What was it like putting the podcast together? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'm, I would not call myself a creative, at least in the way that that term gets used a lot. But I can say having I thought the episode was highly creative. Well, so. thank you. It was it was creative, but I don't identify as, as aspiring a creative. creative. How about yeah. That? <laughs> but, but I will say having created a couple of these episodes, the creative process is sort of interesting. You sort of get started and you have an idea in mind and then you hit this wall, you hit that wall and you bounce into different directions. Um, so I wouldn't say I had a clear direction in the very beginning, but I knew that I wanted to explore the organizing and advocacy that was taking place around this, this cancel rent movement, which was right. something that really exploded in the city of LA about a year ago in the kind of throes of the the pandemic and the, the shutdown of the city when it became clear that if folks couldn't go to work and earn an income and of course 
you know, the, the uh, government subsidy sort of ran out, you know, the income subsidy ran out. And so folks weren't making money and the rent was going to be due. And despite the fact that there was a eviction moratorium to prevent those at risk of being evicted from being evicted, you know, it said, listen, we can't um, kick people out into the streets when they hadn't been working, right? The state of California and many other states put, put an eviction moratorium in place in order to prevent that from happening. And yet still, we knew that that moratorium was going to end at some point and people were, were going to have to uh, pay the back rent. So this movement was started by a number of organizations that do tenant organizing, one of which I'm very involved in, that's called the Koreatown Immigrant Workers Alliance or Kiwa. I do a lot of work for them. I used to work for them as a staff and am still involved in a research capacity. And Kiwa does tenant organizing and workplace organizing. And so um, Kiwa was, was involved in the cancel rent movement. And um, I was part of the kind of advocacy and organizing effort of that movement about a year ago. And along with many of my kind of colleagues and allies in other organizations, you know, we were having a lot of conversations at the time about how frustrating it was to try to organize a social movement when we were in a, you know, economic shutdown, when we had right. to had to be socially distanced, when you know we were all talking to each other over Zoom, but weren't really right. seeing each other in person, it was sort of a bizarre experience. And so I wanted to explore what that was like, and I wanted to create a podcast that showed people um, what it was like on the ground which was really right. in front of our computers, right? On the ground meant kind of sitting in front of our, <laughs> our, our computers. The digital on ground, the virtual yeah. ground, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> exactly. And there was exciting stuff about that and also really challenging stuff. And so I wanted to show people what that looked like. Right. That's great. And I, I thought you did a really good job of that. Um, my next question sort of highlights that. So the episode... Explores Healthy LA trying to navigate this public call-in process during a, the pandemic and the pandemic shutdown. Um, I thought the episode gave a pretty clear look into this experience and really spotlighted the frustration and anger of working through this process. I thought it did a really good job of that. Um, I also thought it did a good job of representing the urgency of this work. So like you're saying, the rent was eventually going to come due and the, the moratorium was going to come to an end and people would have to pay back. But there was also an ongoing crisis at the time. So I really thought you did a nice job of capturing that urgency. I wonder what your thoughts are about the episode now, you know, looking back, um, what you think the episode does an especially good job of capturing about the process. And then maybe what you wished you had more time to explore something else you would have like to have gone into? Yeah, the, the, you know, I should, I should first sort of uplift that Carla de Paz, who is a community organizer and the um, executive director 
of the Community Power Collective right. was a fantastic person to have on the episode. And she's yeah, a, she was a, friend, a great interview. <laughs> yeah, she's a friend of mine, and and she's she uh, you know does a lot of um, you know organizing and and power building for collectives. So she was sort of the obvious choice for an episode that was about building a collective or about exploring what a collective meant. Um, and so, you know, when I look back on the episode now, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of this is still ongoing, the kind of calling in, giving public comment. And I would like to think things are in a better place. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, a year ago when I was recording this, it was also in the wake of the murder of, of George Floyd and the, the, the kind of civil unrest and aftermath yeah. of that. Um, there was a lot of protests in Los Angeles for that, calls to defund the police. And so there was just a lot of anger right. among city residents. And I think the episode captures that because if you listen to people's voices and what they yeah. say when they call in, I mean, they're, they're pretty pretty angry <laughs> and for all yeah. sorts of different reasons, right? They, they each have their own reason to be frustrated with city council and they express it in different ways. But I think it really captured like a lot of anger and frustration at a particular point in time. Um, I also just thought the technical difficulties made it with calling in also makes it really clear that this anger and rage is just partly directed at incompetence. Um, yeah. <laughs> that we're trying to do something that really matters and it's urgent and we can't even do it because you can't figure out how to mute background noise or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there was very real, uh, it, it exposed how unprepared, you know, our, our civic stage, if you will, is for, you know, these, these virtual, these digital forms of, of engagement. Um, you know, yeah, I, th I, th I think they've gotten better. I think as we've realized <laughs> that this pandemic is going to be with us for some time and that maybe we aren't going to be crowding into city hall right. chambers like we used to be. Um, I think um, I'd like, I would like to say that the city of Los Angeles has, has gotten better, but they were completely unprepared and that raised all sorts of, kind of legal and ethical questions about, you know, who is and isn't able to participate in, right. in local government, in the policymaking process, right, in the democratic process. So it, it, you know, I think highlighted the work that still needs to be done in increasing access to, you know, the civic stage for, for folks that are, uh, you know, at risk of you know, in this case, becoming homeless, right? How do they, how do they participate? How do they share their concerns? Yeah. Um, so I think that's what the episode captures really well. Would I, what, what would I do differently? I mean, I think I would have liked to have had more voices, more, more people that I could have interviewed. Um, again, Carla was, was fantastic. And she says so many insightful things that we could, you know, spend, a whole podcast episode talking about particular right. issues that she raises, but, you know, she references a lot of folks that she at CPC 
organizes, you know, immigrant workers and, and tenants who, who really are um, the ones that the cancel rep movement was trying to empower. I would have liked to have had a chance to, to sit down with them, interview them and kind of get, give listeners a better sense of what it was like for those that were really feeling, you know, on the brink of, of losing their home and being put out on the street. Yeah, I I think that would have added a, a really nice layer, even though um, I agree Carla's interview was really, really rich um, and had a lot of things that we could spend a lot of time unpacking. Um, I wonder if you might, you know, uh, comment on how you think things have unfolded over the last year. You've already said a couple things, but um, I wonder, you know, you put this podcast together in the midst of this this ongoing housing crisis um, in LA and during the pandemic shutdown. And as you pointed out, like right in the middle of the upright, the 2020 uprisings and protests, um, I know there were a ton in LA and, uh, you know, it's now a year later and I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how things have shifted, uh, what that might mean for how you think about the episode or what was expressed in the episode. Um, I think the moratorium have, has come up. So I, I know there was projections of a looming eviction crisis and things like that. So anything that you'd like to say about that stuff? Yeah, I should, I, we should shamelessly plug, you know, go back and listen to a previous yeah, exactly. episode of, of this podcast. <laughs> it's all about the eviction crisis. Um, and, and things are uh, in a much different place than they were. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, I think the cancel rent movement succeeded in a lot of ways in holding city of LA, but also the state of California accountable and making sure that rental assistance was provided to those that need it and in the amount that was needed. And so there was a rental assistance program through the state of California. And, you know, I, I won't get into the details, but different cities could choose to opt in or opt out of, of the city's program or develop their own program. And then renters could apply to these programs and get um, both some of their back rent debt waived as well as um, their prospective rent for a few months paid for. So that was a good thing. Now there were all sorts of problems with that. You know, the landlord had to agree. And so, you know, what happens if, you know, a renter has a really horrible landlord that doesn't care about, care about them, care about people, you know, there was all sorts of uh, situations where people could fall through the cracks, right. And right. the state bureaucracy wasn't great at, uh, dealing with those, those situations. Um, and, you know, there are all sorts of other, uh, you know, reasons why people, even if they received state assistance are still not in the same place that they were pre pandemic financially or economically. Um, and so, you know, there is still, I think a eviction crisis that, is on the horizon, but the way that I think those of us that 
are in organizations working with people on the ground talk about it is that it's not going to be, you know, the eviction moratorium ends and then all of a sudden, you know, all of these folks are kicked out of their homes. You know, it's not going to be that kind of a crisis. It's going to be something that takes place over a period of time, a year, two years, three years, where, you know, people start to fall through the cracks. You know, they, they can't get their job back. They have all sorts of credit card debt that they can't pay back. Um, you know, they've lost loved ones because of the pandemic, have less, have less income as a result. And so I think there's going to be an eviction crisis for sure. It's just going to be um, one that is a little bit more, um, uh, you know, what's the word kind of in the shadows, I guess. <laughs> um, normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll feel normal, unfortunately. Right. That's, yeah. That's the problem. Banal, uh, anyways, um, yeah. every day mundane or something. I, I think that's really interesting. Like, um, even choosing to frame it as a crisis sort of suggests that it's going to be this, you know, rapid onset thing that happens and um, then we'll clear it up and fix, respond to the crisis. But um, I think one of the things that is highlighted well, uh, even in the podcast is that this is work people have been doing for a while and uh, the pandemic sort of shifts the way that that work gets performed um, and the obstacles to, to doing that work. But um, this is an ongoing project and movement um, that needs support and energy mm -hmm. and help from city hall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully let's say thank you very much, Brady, for talking me through uh, your podcast and sharing with us some of the, the background about putting together the episode. Um, and thank you for putting together the episode itself. It's, it's really interesting and illuminating. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Caller with a phone number ending in four, five, Four nine five zero. Please press star six. Call in user one. Please press star six. Hi, did you call? Please state you your name and the item you'd like to speak on. Speaker, it's very difficult to understand you. Um, okay, uh, my. I'd like to comment on item 43 and general public comment. Okay, so you have one minute for um, each, and I think you have your volume on on another device. Please turn it down. We're getting some feedback. Hello? Um, firstly, just a heads up, the phone line, we can't hear anything. The meeting audio is coming in really garbled, and so if that's why, if, that, if you get a bunch of people confused during public comment, that's why. Um, I can't hear you, so I'm just going to go ahead and say my comment. Um, firstly, on item 43, I uh, just want to urge the council to move as fast as possible. Um, I don't know if these are procedural delays or lack of will on the council's part, um, but LA residents have been watching in horror as you all have wasted over a month on this while unhoused people are dying. So please stop wasting time and house people now in hotels. Um, moving on to my general public comment, I want to urge you all to house. According to a recent census survey, more than half of all people in Los Angeles experienced a COVID-related loss of household income, and by the end of 2020, 
hundreds of thousands of tenants were behind on rent. Thus, while the public health risks of the pandemic appear to be subsiding, there is an eviction crisis that looms on the horizon. At some point, the bill for unpaid rent will be due, and low-income tenants who are already severely rent-burdened and still without steady income simply will not be able to pay it back. They will end up homeless or caught in a cycle of debt for years. Back in March 2020, when COVID-19 first hit California, a network of organizations across Los Angeles County came together with a shared concern for how best to address the social and economic impact of the pandemic. The group called themselves Healthy LA and quickly established a recurring set of weekly Zoom meetings to organize a campaign for the city of LA to, quote, cancel rent. Kiwa, the organization I belong to, is a member of Healthy LA and part of the cancel rent campaign. Because public meetings of government bodies have turned remote, one of our tactics in Healthy LA is to call in and provide public comment and demand the city take action to protect tenants. I'm on the line waiting for my turn to speak. I've got my script in front of me and the meeting's agenda so I know which items to comment on. I've noticed that during the pandemic, and especially in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, Angelinas have become particularly civically engaged. The public comment portion of some of these meetings can last as long as two or three hours. Because the pandemic has touched so many lives in so many different ways, there are literally hundreds of people calling in each week to comment on one, two, or sometimes several agenda items. And yet they are often plagued by technical difficulties, making it difficult to hear and participate in the meeting. Some folks just call in to share their frustrations. Sometimes the frustration turns into anger and even hate. And listening to the public comments each week, it's upsetting to hear so much pain in the voices of my neighbors, but I also grow weary listening to what seems to me like misplaced or unproductive hate speech. Whether I get a chance to speak myself or not, I often end these calls wondering whether our message is getting across, whether our collective is being heard being recognized. To help me think through these dynamics, I spoke with a friend and colleague of mine, Carla De Paz, who co-founded an organization to help respond to the COVID-19 related economic crisis. Can you describe CPC and how CPC first got involved with Healthy LA? Like thinking back to that moment, what was going on? So the Community Power Collective, also known as CPC, um, we're a small grassroots um, organization based in East LA, Boyle Heights, but we do work across the city. But we organize with tenants, and we organize with uh, workers in the informal economy, most notably street vendors, but also um, mariachis in Boyle Heights to win community control of land and housing and a solidarity economy. You know, we we exist <laughs> because of crisis and need. Like early in in the in twenty twenty, like right before the pandemic hit, it was hard. It was really hard because none of us had a lot of like experience with forming a, a new entity. We didn't, as organizers, we didn't get paid to work from May to August, so we were volunteer organizers. Um, and so it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was right like when folks were really scared, folks were losing their jobs, our community members were losing jobs. 
and there was a meeting one night, like one evening, like at eight o'clock, that that LA Voice kind of held down, organized, and a lot of us jumped on, and that's when the idea came about. You know, like even with street vending, like we were worried about the the crackdown on street vendors, but the biggest concern street vendors had was their rent. They were just like, we're yeah, we're like we we don't want to get tickets, but what's worrying us the most is that we can't work, and we can't pay our rent. So it definitely felt necessary to ask us to have a space where that issue was was what we were gonna be working on and like movement building around this idea of cancellation of rent and that there was a lot of other cities, a lot of organizers saying like, this is what our, our communities also need. And it's been building like the past year, we've been building towards actually having like real policy platform, real strategy around something that like right off the bat, the city council said is not, is not possible. Caller with the phone number ending in 7719, please press star six. Yeah, it's Eric Previn. Uh, I'd like to speak on the available items and, and also report that we've not been able to hear a lot of the meeting, which to me meets a fall beneath the standard fall. I don't know, you know, Mr. Ridley Thomas likes to make big. So, so thank you, Mr. Previn, thank you. So the items that are open are 119, 22, 36, 38 through 43, the rule 23, and then general public comment. So you have three minutes followed by one minute for general public comment. Please stick to the items. The uh, the rule 23 means that you made some findings that there was no way you could have known in advance that you're going to apply for a FEMA loan for $75 million that will be reimbursed. But how is that money going to be spent? How are the public supposed to know? I mean, I know that Mr. Ridley Thomas is trying to get people up and off the street. We took note of Measure H, which was a lot of his handiwork, which has been an embarrassing failure, by the way. And the oversight there could not be worse. He's installed John Namo, the former controller who was chased around by him at the county to be one of the overseers. And even the overseers themselves are appalled at the lack of coherent reporting or anything meaningful for the public to determine what we're doing beyond spinning our wheels. We are so desperate. It is appalling. And then he just keeps banging the drum for more money and more reason. When the stay-at-home order hit, you know, when things got really bad and the economy shut down, what, how did the work of organizing change? Like, how did CPC shift and still do its work with now all of these restrictions telling you where you couldn't, couldn't be and how many people you couldn't, couldn't be around because... Right, organizing is like all about being around people, right? Right. I think at first we're like, damn, yeah, how, I remember some folks just being like, well, we're not gonna be able to do stuff. I mean, we were all scared. I was scared even to like with the direct services, you know, to be around people and, and at the same time, it's like, well, this, this is the moment where, where organizing is needed the most. We're like, this is the moment where people need to stay most connected. I think we as a team were already pretty pretty well versed with Zoom because we used it a lot. It was a little, it, it was some trial and error, but we actually pretty, like figured it out pretty quick just how to get folks on Zoom. Like we did a little manual like with pictures of like how to download it onto your phone. Um, and once people had it on their phone, it was easy to just send them a link. What's been harder for us is like the digital organizing. It's still not that easy for our community, for community members to call in 
to city hall it's really hard like those systems it's just like you have to call you have to press so many things to get to where you need to go they're not neither the county or the city have like interpretation throughout the whole like you know process that you get interpretation once you're in but to get in like all the instructions are in english it's been really frustrating to have like sometimes 30 street vendors waiting in line to make a public comment around their rent and to not get one person in it was beautiful like with throughout the history of the street winner campaign to be able to fill up city hall you know with 300 people and that's just not possible right now of course you have a minute for each please begin I just want to say shout out Rob Kwan, who certainly has a much better understanding of uh, city government and uh, the legalities of bringing agenda items and editing edit items. Uh, maybe you should all hire Rob Kwan or at least listen to him when he talks about these things, because I also want to note that there was a provision in yesterday's motion uh, about the $32 million that included something about um, Council offices needed to send recommendations to CAO's office by March 5th. No one that we spoke to in the city understood what that provision was. So I'm not entirely sure if it's incompetent or just plain evil, but like you all just don't know what the fuck is going on at City Hall. That's just a simple matter of fact. Like, how, how did no one know what the, the recommendations need to go by March 5th? Rob Kwan is calling the experience like, oh, of no calling into City Hall or City Council to give public comment, you know, waiting hours almost to, to get on and listening to people call in and say wild, like angry, but like almost nonsensical stuff. And then uh, they shut down public comment because people were using racial slurs and like people that are not related to what Healthy LA is calling in for, or other people are calling in for. But it just made me think about like our collective, but then how maybe the city council like views all of these like voices calling in as just this like muddled collective that they can't really differentiate between because it's just all of these angry voices and like worrying that like our message gets lost and all of this anger yeah. and, and public comments of, of other people. Like how, how do you think about that like dilemma of we're trying to do this like digital organizing advocacy and, and like we're, we have to force it through this crazy context and yeah, how do you think about that? It makes it, it definitely makes it different. Um, and for a while, I, I had also been like frustrated, especially with like city hall, with LA city council meetings on, on how, like on the purpose of public comment, at least in my experience, like with street vending stuff, it's like a lot of these council members have already made up their mind by the time the council meeting is happening. It's been really frustrating for years now to see like a manipulation of of people's like you know rights to comment impact policy that that's gonna impact their lives um so that's been frustrating and it's definitely more like apparent more like just yeah it's more apparent now because i've experienced different offices you know elected offices in both the county and the city having the power 
to support folks get on to public comment like being able to say oh these folks are actually like we we want to make sure that people who are impacted get to speak on it you know and we've been asked at the board of supervisors office to be ready like or you know can you give us a list of folks that should speak on this issue and they can do it both ways right like if there's an issue and there's people for and against it they have the power to make sure there's a balanced opinion um so they can do that and they like choose not to um i feel with la city council they know like these these folks that call just to say malicious things they know who they are they know their phone numbers so i feel like they make choices about who gets to speak and how the time gets used and i feel like it's manipulated you know it's manipulated to kind of just check like a box of of public comment so i've been thinking about that a lot like it's it's there's a lot of work we have to do ahead of time before the day of meetings to really impact the process. You have three minutes for items 1, 19, 22, 36. I already heard, moron. May I continue, please, before you interrupt me again? You That's why I said all items. You have now, regarding all the money that has been stolen due to the so-called COVID corruption in L.A., to bail the fools out for their $800 million deficit, um, I don't think HUD or any federal government should provide you assistance until you spend from the general fund that you keep recycling with Mr. Uh, budget Man. That affects a negative impact in the report. So I just want to let you know. Are you listening, Mommy? Because those people were telling you Stop wasting the money and put it to the homeless issue because it's only getting worse. And Donald Trump was right. You need to learn the First Amendment. Now I want to go to my general public comment, you Go ahead. Idiot. Go ahead, Speaker. Thank you, you Pasadenian. You have the word collective in your name, Community mm -hmm. Power Collective, and you're part of the Cancel Rent Collective. <laughs> what does the word collective mean to you? Just like the opposite of everything we're like socialized to think, you know, in this country, the individualism, um, the individualism that comes with the capitalism, but the idea that like the, the good of a group of people can be like the good for myself, that we need all, we all need to like do work. We all need to carry work to be able to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And it's hard. Like, we're realizing, like, wow, we're so socialized. There's so much unlearning to do um, in, how, in how we actually build our own capacities to make decisions, you know, to have real opinions uh, about things. What do you think makes a collective powerful or successful? I think, um, I think you have to have, like, strong like infrastructure and like strong decision making processes um that are very like clear and transparent because we're again because it's we're, we're not socialized to make decisions together and we're used to having like someone else be the ultimate decision maker or we're used to having power to be the ultimate decision maker and we're, when you're trying to unlearn and break that down like there has to be a clear way for people to feel like their voice is being heard that their like opinion matters, you know, that they, that they, there's a clear process to um, have open like debate 
about things. So being able to sit comfortably in tension and contradictions, but then having parameters, having like clear ways of getting through them. That's actually, in my experience, probably like the most important thing. Like a lot of conflict mediation, a lot of a lot of ways for people to really be able to bring out like their grievances or their disagreements. Because if not, then people kind of like, you know, keep stuff to themselves, build resentments. And then you kind of have a facade of collectiveness or collective decision-making. And it's only maybe a smaller group of people who actually have the power to make decisions because you're not, you don't have a way to work through differences. If I can please begin. Please begin. Thank you. Um, so it's been 36 days since this was, uh, since item 43 and FEMA was introduced uh, to uh, everyone to use. And in that time, approximately 180 unhoused people have died. So thanks for acting with urgency. It's raining right now today, which means more unhoused people are going to die of hypothermia. Um, I do appreciate President Martinez's language and that this is an improvement on Ms. Raman and Mr. Bonin's original proposal. And thank you for passing that unanimously. I need you to pass this now and act with urgency because people are dying and we can make a huge, huge dent in solving our homelessness crisis because RV bans and subjecting them to sweeps are not how you solve the problem. Um, thank you. So thank you, President Martinez. Thank you, Mr. Bond, and thank you, Ms. And how, how has the pandemic changed the way you think about, you know, building collective power and collective struggle? There's definitely a lot of, we've been doing a lot of reflection around service, right? Like direct service. Sometimes service work also gets used by the state to like appease radical organizing. But this pandemic was like, it was just very, very needed. Like it, there was no getting around it. There was no um, way to, like folks were in need. Folks are dying. And we're, we're organizing because we want to build a better world and like, this pandemic showed us that the world that exists is not good enough. The structure, the you know, everything around us is not is not um, is not prepared. Like we're not prepared to like deal with these this type of crisis. So definitely a lot of reflection on how as and we're a new org. Like what what are the service components that we want that we that our community needs in this moment? How do we make sure that those are grounded in like transformation of our society? I'm humbled by my conversation with Carla. I understand that organizers like her are doing the tough, often unacknowledged work of channeling and mobilizing anger and frustration in a strategic way in order to affect change. I'm fairly certain she's on hold like I am right now, waiting for her turn to speak. Any moment now. Patience, I tell myself. Okay, that concludes... Um Public comment for today's meeting. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.org. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Visit calhum.org for more.